Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 265 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing Rick and Morty, a dark and irreverent science fiction cartoon that airs on Cartoon Network. And this will involve spoilers for the first two seasons, as well as the season three premiere, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got our producer, John Joseph Adams. He's the editor of Lightspeed and Nightmare Magazines, and he also oversees John Joseph Adams' books, an imprint of Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. He's the series editor of The Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy, and he's also edited many other anthologies, including the recent books Cosmic Powers, Loosed Upon the World, and The Mad Scientist's Guide to World Domination. So, John, welcome back. Good to be here. I'm, I'm actually a John from a slightly alternate, uh, you know, universe, but you guys probably won't be able to tell the difference. Yeah, close enough. Then next up, we've got Matt London making his 17th appearance on the show. He's a video game designer and author whose Eighth Continent novels, a series of science fiction eco-adventures, are out now. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Hi, good to be back. And also joining us today is Carly Veloci, who you may remember from our panel on Stranger Things back in episode 216. She's a TV reporter for The Wrap, and her writing has also appeared in the Boston Globe, io9, and Polygon. Check out her recent posts, What We Know About Rick and Morty Season 3 over at Geek.com, and Rick and Morty Season 3 finally gets premiere date almost two years after Cliffhanger over at The Wrap. So Carly, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Okay, so I want to start out by just telling the story of how Rick and Morty came about, because it's pretty funny. And you guys can just feel free to jump in if there's something that you want to add. But so basically, the show was created by Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon. And years ago, I think about 10 years ago or so, Dan Harmon had a sort of short film festival called Channel 101. And Justin Roiland made a, it was like five minute short films. And Justin Roiland made a short film for that called House of Cosby's which I have not seen, but the premise was basically that there's a guy who's a big Bill Cosby fan and he clones a whole house full of Bill Cosby clones. And it was extremely, uh, like, twisted and dark. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really hold up well now. <laughs> okay, interesting. So so why not? Oh, just because of, <laughs> of subsequent Bill Cosby revelations, you mean? <laughs> yeah, just mentioning Bill Cosby... In general. <laughs> too anyway. soon. It's too yeah. soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so he did this House of Cosby's short film and got a cease and desist letter from Bill Cosby's lawyer. Oh. Huh. And um, and sort of thought to himself, well, I have no money, so what are they going to do to me? And also, this is kind of fun because he was getting a lot of attention for having gotten this cease and desist letter. So they produced <laughs> a fifth episode. I guess there had been four of these things. They produced the fifth one, which featured Bill Cosby's lawyer apparently performing oral sex on Bill Cosby. Um, and uh, and he was and Justin Royland was like, wow, this is really fun. I wonder who else I could get a cease and desist letter from. <laughs> so he, he hatched this plot to see if he could make a, a Back to the Future um, inspired film in a similar vein and get a cease and desist letter from, from that studio. So he made this short film called Doc and Marty, which I don't know if you've seen it, but it is also extremely uh, dark and twisted mm-hmm. and uh, prominently involves uh, Marty performing oral sex on Doc. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if he ever actually, I don't know if I heard, does anyone know if he actually did get any cease and desist letter on that one? I'm not sure if he did. 
I don't well, think so, but I yeah. could be wrong. Yeah, but so, but so he was like, oh, that was fun. I really like these, these characters, these, you know, these characters that I, or these voices that I did for the, uh, mm-hmm. for this, um, short film. And so he just started doing those voices all the time just to entertain friends and stuff. And he started using, using them in different little movies that he was making and stuff. And so then at some point, Dan Harmon came to him and said, uh, Cartoon Network wants me to make a, uh, a show for them. Do you have any good ideas? And Justin Roiland says, well, I have these voices I've been doing. And I really like them. And so they kind of like, they're like, well, we obviously, we don't want it to be uh, as actionable as it was originally intended to be. So they changed it from Doc and Marty to Rick and Morty and kind <laughs> of made it non-infringing. And uh, and it went from there. So I think that's kind of a funny story. Anyone have any anything yeah. they want to add to that? Well, I think it's just kind of fun to to hear that we have yet another example of someone basically creating fanfic and then filing the serial numbers off and then resulting in something like amazing and like way better than it would have been if they had stuck to the original thing that they were sort of riffing on. Um, so it's like, it, it, cause like once you, once you file the serial numbers off, now you have no boundaries. Like, you know, you don't have to adhere to anything at all, like anything that, that had previously existed. So, and I think that really, uh, fueled the creativity behind the show. So I, I think that's interesting. Um, and I, I'm always really curious when, when you hear about those things, like, you know, uh, I hear it about it in novels a lot. Like Cassandra Clare had sort of started off by having a Harry Potter fanfic, you know, and then she filed the serial numbers off and changed it into something original, that kind of thing. So it's, it's really interesting when those things happen. I find it very amusing that it basically is really obviously still a Back to the Future parody, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though like they did file the serial numbers off, as you said. But I don't, I don't know. I think it works a lot better. And as far as I know, nobody's really said anything. Well, it's interesting because Back to the Future is a time travel, and so they sort of switched it from time travel to parallel worlds. Mm-hmm. And I actually saw Dan Harmon say that he doesn't intend to ever do time travel in Rick and Morty because he thinks it's just kind of played out. Or maybe that was Justin mm-hmm. Royal and I forget. But I think that's one significant difference is that it's not about time travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he does he does kind of go to the future in the in the first episode. Uh, like Rick goes into like, I guess, I mean, it's still an alternate dimension, but it's like way, way in the future. And they have like uh, super advanced technology that allows them to never die or whatever. And like, it, it was like really weird and dark, you know, where he's like, uh, he, like he, he actually, he was gone for two seconds, but then, you know, he actually was there for many, many years and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but I mean, that's, I think that's the only time probably they'll, they'll dip into that. Well, yeah. I mean, there's the episode where they screw up, uh, basically time and they keep splitting mm-hmm. off into mm-hmm. different timelines. Um, so I guess their theory of time travel is just different than mm-hmm. the one in Back to the Future. But I don't know. I think time travel in a more complicated sense still exists in Rick and Morty. It's just not mm-hmm. like go to the future, change something, and then everything's different or something. You know, that right. kind of plot. Mm-hmm. See, Matt, you have anything you want to add about the fan, about the origins of Rick and Morty? Yeah, just sort of you know, um, just bouncing off of what people are talking about. It's funny because, uh, in addition to the, uh, the sort of Doc and Marty back to the future, uh, reference, which is clearly sort of like a, a template for the show. Um, the fact that they did change it to this more interdimensional multiverse kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, internal story logic, uh, le- led to what I think is a really elegant use of, of a lot of, of, different um sci-fi tropes um and story patterns so like i think that the 
um, the references to Doctor Who are really prominent uh, on the show, uh, particularly as like the rest of Morty's family starts getting involved in Rick's adventures. Uh, so it's cool to see like how by uh, opening it up a bit and making it more than just this kind of parody allowed them to create a much um, you know richer referential fabric in the show. Well, I think that's an important detail is that Rick is Morty's grandfather, um, which is a change also from Back to the Future. And Dan Harmon, I think, was saying that he he was like, I'm going to have Rick constantly taking Morty on these adventures and almost getting him killed. And there has to be some reason why they don't just get a restraining order against him, you know. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, if I, if I make him the mother's father and then also make the family dynamic so that the mother is really the one calling the shots in the family and she can she has the authority within the family structure to make it so they can't kick the her father out then that all kind of works mm-hmm. and also adds this interesting family dynamic to the makes it kind of a, a sitcom setup as well mm-hmm. yeah plus they built in the whole idea that basically every rick needs a morty mm-hmm. so so it almost like seems like it almost seems like fate in a lot of ways mm-hmm. Uh, actually, you know, uh, uh, speaking of the uh, speaking of the cease and desist stuff, I, I kind of wondered if uh, maybe they they did slip a few other things still into the show, uh, kind of maybe hoping for that kind of thing. I mean, I I think it's kind of um, uh, a remote possibility to to get a cease and desist for anything they're doing at this point because it's so clearly parody. Um, but like they, you know, uh, they they have the you know they have his interdimensional gun. They call it the portal gun all the time. And then like in the um, in the season three uh, premiere, uh, in the season three premiere, we actually see him creating it um, back in his memory, and and it looks like he's literally creating the portal gun from Portal because like the initial efforts were just you know throwing something through one end and having it come out the other, which is exactly what the portal gun does, and it looks very much like the portal gun. So um, I th- I just thought that was kind of funny. I mean, I don't think Valve's going to sue them or anything, but. Um, Given given the history, I kind of wonder, like, oh, I wonder if they were doing that just to sort of, you know, poke the bear a little bit, see if anything happens. Yeah, I was just to say, I know that, you know, Dan Harmon is a huge nerd and plays video games all the time. So I'm sure that mm. was on purpose. Yeah. But I think that when it was when Justin Roiland was like, I have no money, you know, so who cares? What what are they going to do to me? I think that's no longer mm. the case at this point. <laughs> And, well, I hope I hope so. <laughs> and I think that like they said that they never really they never showed the original short to Cartoon Network or anything. And they still mm-hmm. in interviews I watched, they they're like, we're still not sure if they know about it and stuff like that. So <laughs> uh I'm sure at this point there's they have less latitude to or you know, they're they're less interested in, in getting a cease and desist letter than than maybe they yeah. were at the start. Right. Um but actually so speaking of the family dynamics though, what do you guys think about the different Let's just, let's just let's talk a little bit about the characters. So, Matt, what do you what do you think about Rick and Morty and the family and so on? Uh, well, I think that each one sort of plays a very uh, specific role in that dynamic. It's really interesting to see how those characters evolve over time. Like at the beginning of the first season, it's very clearly a show about Rick and Morty, and that the rest of the family is very much kind of on the side. But as the series goes on, we really get to get insight into their lives. And as they become more fully realized characters, they become not only like richer material for for comedy, um, but you start to care about them too, um, or despise them, depending on how you feel. Um, but it's it, it's really interesting to see um, how it it. I, I think actually, especially summer. Um, sneaks up on uh, the mm-hmm. audience in a way because she's very much 
like a stereotype at the beginning of the series. But as time goes on, she becomes as, as important a character as, as Morty is. Um, and I think that that creates so many more interesting dynamics um, on the, in, on Rick's adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really quick. One other thing is that, you know, we were talking about um, talking about Dr. Who a second ago. I think it's actually very telling that uh, Rick is their grandfather, right? Uh, the very first companion referred to the doctor as grandfather. Um, knowing how nerdy these guys are, I, I assume that's not a complete coincidence. Well, let's let's say Matt. So the so Summer is Morty's sister, and she starts out at least as kind of a stereotypical girly girl, teenage you know teenage high school girl, and then the mom is Beth, who's a horse surgeon, and then Morty's father is Jerry, who's a sort of unemployed ad executive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Carly, you have anything you want to add about those those family member characters? Yeah, I mean. I do find it really interesting that season two especially is kind of less about Rick and Morty's adventures and more about, you know, the whole family's adventures in regards to Rick and Morty and about like the consequences of a lot of the stuff that happened in season one. Um, So you have like a whole storyline that's about Beth and Jerry and their marriage, which, you know, would seem out of place in season one, but in season two, it actually drives a lot of the plot in a lot of ways. And, you know, there's that whole episode where they go to like the marriage counselor planet or whatever. <laughs> and it's like one of my favorite episodes, but, and then like in regards to summer, I, you can see like little bits of how interesting of a character she can be in season one, which is why I think they kind of promoted her in season two. Um, and I think having like, I guess to go with more doctor who references as a, to have a second companion gives Morty more to do. So I think it's like just been like season two just kind of made everything about Rick and Morty better because, you know, it made it way less about Rick and Morty in general. And, you know, it's a more rich universe for it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I think uh, I think one of the really interesting things is how uh, like what when you start watching the show, uh, like, you know, like Matt was saying, obviously, it's very much about Rick and Morty and the other characters are more in the background. But it's so it's so interesting to see that, like, uh, the you know, the the rest of the family is just three ordinary people who don't really know what Rick and Morty have been really getting up to. And so you'd think that when they make those first attempts to tell stories that are just about those other characters, that it wouldn't really be as interesting. But they they always managed to do it. And, and there was like never an episode where I was like, Oh, here's, here's another, uh, here's another Beth and Jerry storyline. That's going to be a boring, uh, you know, B storyline, you know, but, um, they always make it amazing, even though like they don't have, even though their adventures aren't as zany, they somehow make it. Um, I mean, often they do end up as zany, (laughs) but you know, they, uh, it's really an amazing trick. And, and I, I totally agree about like the, the growth of the characters over the course of, I mean, over the course of the series, um, it's 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 actually also interesting just to see how uh how rich everything becomes over the span of the two seasons. Like I feel like in season 2 everything gets much more like sort of confident and and um and like sort of robust in terms of like world building and character building and all that kind of stuff. And so um it's a really interesting um like I think I think writers could actually learn a lot from watching the show um just because there's so such great um attention to all these kinds of details. Well, John, I wanted to ask you because we um, we decided to do a panel about this show because we had a number of listeners request it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think when I emailed you about it initially, you said, 
I haven't had much luck getting into these weird animated shows people seem to love, like Steven Universe or Adventure Time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could you talk a little bit about like that, like how you why why some of these like weird cartoon things like this haven't clicked for you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know exactly. I, I don't know that I can really generalize about them. I mean, I just, it's just, it's just, I have noticed that in my experience that there's a lot of these shows that are popular like that, that I don't quite get into when I try them. Um, and it might be in some cases that I just need to try them more. Um, like, because for instance, I didn't like the first episode of Rick and Morty. And if I hadn't had everybody, um, uh, telling me how great it was and I should really try it more. And like, I had a few people saying, Oh, well, no, actually the first episode's not, not, it's like the worst episode basically. Um, uh, I don't know that I would have tried it more, and, I, and I'm so glad that I did. But um, and so, like for Steven Universe, for instance, I only checked out one episode and I didn't love it. But I was like, well, maybe I just need to try it more. Um, Adventure Time, I definitely tried a lot, um, and it's like it's okay. I just it, there's something about it that it just didn't click with me. Um, so, but I mean, at least part of it in some of these is that the animation is usually like not great. And so when the storylines, even if they're like kind of fun, if they're not really clicking for me on all cylinders, it's like the animation is enough of a deterrent that it maybe it, it puts an additional layer between me and the show. Whereas like if it was better, like maybe I'd be like, okay, well, I mean, at least it's, uh, you know, that's something, that's something a little extra to get me to keep watching, even if I'm maybe only kind of half tuned into the, the storylines and stuff. But, um, I am very sad though that the animation is like it is because like my wife uh, Christy uh, has has much higher standards for animation for like I don't really understand like which ones that she'll watch and which ones she won't but like um, she took one look at it and she was like oh no I can't watch that uh, although she was like she'd be like in the kitchen or something hearing it and she'd be like laughing and so like she could definitely appreciate the you know the writing on the show and everything but um, it's just like I wanted her to watch it because it's so great but. Well, uh, yeah. well, well, let me say, John, I mean, well, my issue with a lot of these weird cartoons is that I really want things that are smart and interesting and important. And if they're also funny and weird, that's kind of like a good seasoning for it. But I feel like a lot of these shows are only funny and weird and mm-hmm. not smart or interesting or significant. And right. I think that that's what sets Rick and Morty apart from a lot of them for me is that it is, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, a lot of the episodes, at least, are genuinely smart and interesting and important. I think right. you guys might be a little bit hard on these other shows. You know, <laughs> one major difference um, between the shows that you're comparing is that uh, presumably Steven Universe and Adventure Time um, are uh, accessible to a younger audience. Rick and Morty is by no means intended <laughs> to be that way. And so, you know, it's like, what's a better movie? Uh, the Lion King or Goodfellas, right? Like, you, you uh, on some level, or like Toy Story and and... Raging Bull, right? Like you can <laughs> think about how two things can be a very high quality, um, but but not be intended for the same audience. And like, would Lion King be better if the lions were poached and uh, hissing at each other and uh, and cursing? Maybe, maybe they, maybe that would be a better movie. Um, but they're they're blocking themselves from certain kinds of content in order to be accessible as a I, I mean Matt I don't want family movie. I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent but well, I do I just want to say that like Zootopia to me is like perfectly appropriate for kids and is really smart and interesting and important. Right. Mm-hmm. And so and then it then maybe it's just a you know um uh a matter of taste. Like I, personally I think that like I I have not uh watched a lot of Steven Universe. I have watched a lot of Adventure Time. It's a very different show from Rick and Morty. Morty. I think it's trying to do much more subtle things uh, in a lot of cases. Um, but 
but I, it's two, they're two very different shows. They're both very good. It's not, um, it's not like the kind of like, I don't know, brain power required to appreciate Rick and Morty is that much higher. I just want to butt in because I'm a big fan of both Steven Universe and Adventure Time. <laughs> so I, I think I can put a little something in this, into this conversation. Um, so Steven Universe in general is nothing like Rick and Morty and Adventure Time. Um, it's a, it's a very like kind of, it's a very sci-fi as show that is more, mostly about like relationships between the characters and doesn't really rely too much on quote unquote, like random humor or animation or those kinds of things that like start off Adventure Time and Rick and Morty in a lot of ways. But I think that Steven Universe, you know, is, is telling one of the most like beautiful stories on television of any show, let alone a show that's animated and generally for a younger audience. And as for Adventure Time, I think that it's like Rick and Morty in a lot of ways in the sense that over time, like a, like a through line kind of pops up, a uh, plot thread, themes, um, these kind of like really dark conversations, these like philosophical conversations, these like, ca- this, these moments of character development that, you know, feel real to the audience. It just, Adventure Time, I think, takes much longer to get there than Rick and Morty does. Um, so, so yeah, like, I don't think that Steven Universe really belongs in this conversation. Um, I do think Adventure Time is probably a more appropriate, um, comparison for Rick and Morty. Um, but I think they're still, like, like Matt said, kind of different shows because they're for different audiences. So that's, that's what I have to add. I don't think Steven Universe belongs. I agree. (laughs) Well, and and I don't want to, I don't want to claim any sort of uh, comparison to, you know, Rick and Morty to Steven Universe per se. I was just mentioning it in terms of, uh, you know, it being uh, also an animated show that uh, a lot of people have recommended that are like, you know, and it's kind of science fiction oriented. Um, I, I fully admit I have not seen enough of it to make any judgment on it. So I don't, I'm not a hater. I just, I (laughs) I need to try it more. I need to, I need to probably watch more than the first episode. So yeah, I agree. It it takes a little bit to see where it's going, but once it gets there, it's like, ugh, I I, yeah. I can't I can't talk about it enough, basically. <laughs> right? No, I mean that's all I've heard about it, so that's why like I keep thinking ah, I should try it again, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, but so so John, so then after you did watch Rick and Morty, mm-hmm. you said uh, now I really love the show and I have many thoughts about it. So yeah. I want to hear what some of your many thoughts are. <laughs> right. Well, you know, so it's it's just like I I can't even believe how good it is to be honest, like. It constantly surprises me and delights me in a way that, like, I can't even think of any other shows that really do that. Like, uh, I mean, you know, one of the things as an editor, uh, is that I'm always looking for things that I'm not expecting. Like, I, I don't, like, people ask me, well, what am I looking for? And I'm like, well, I don't really know. I wanna, like, I wanna read a thing and I wanna just be delighted and surprised by it. And Rick and Morty just, like, does that all the time. Even after they set the bar, like, really high where they, like, done these amazing things. Like, they still managed to do it. Like, I, like, when I, I was just watching, I'm not gonna talk about it in detail, but I mean, like, I, at, at this point in the panel, but I mean, when I was watching the, the third episode, the third season premiere, I was just like, oh my god, like, I just can't even believe how amazing it is. And like, like, just things that had never even occurred to me, like, that they would do. And it's like so bold and refreshing. Like, it's just, it's like genius. I'm mad genius, I guess, but, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, no, I mean, there's like no other show like it, really. And I'm, and, and it's like such a weird, dissonance for me that the first episode I had such a negative reaction to it and 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 I mean it didn't even take long like the second episode is amazing and 
so I, I actually re- went after I watched the whole se- the whole se- series. I I went back and watched episode one. And I still don't like episode one, although I, I liked it a little bit more. Um, but then I and then I rewatched episode two, and I'm like, oh my god, so much happens in that episode. The dog episode and the dream episode. That's the same one. That's like, that's like multiple episodes right there, and they crammed it all into one episode. And it's like, geez, it's like it's just so rich. So anyway, that's what those are my thoughts. <laughs> uh, Matt, do you agree that the show is genius? Absolutely. Yeah. It's so, you know, in terms of richness, it's, it's more just sort of like the references per minute. You know, I was really disappointed when it, when the second season was over because there wasn't any more to watch and I felt like I'd blasted through it really quickly. Um, but it was incredible to me to be able to go back almost immediately and start again and have like a completely fresh experience for a couple of reasons. One, because I know these characters so much better now. I understand the logic of the world a little bit better now. And then uh, being able to pick up so many more of these references that um, that you just missed the first time. Mm-hmm. I think you could honestly annotate this show. And <laughs> every episode would be three hours long of just people explaining like obscure episodes of, of soap operas from the 1960s. The Rick and Morty podcast. There you go. Well, I'm going to the the episode that really stands out in my memory, it's called Total Recall. It's the one where the um there's these aliens and they insert false memories into your mind to make you think that they're old friends of yeah. yours. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that one I thought even if you took all the humor out of it mm-hmm. and told it just as a straight serious science fiction story, it's a good enough story on its own to get published in a science fiction magazine. Totally. I think it has one of the that episode is one of the best endings of any story I've ever read or seen or it, yeah it goes back to like this idea of like Rick and Morty just like always doing something unexpected and the end of that episode basically had me screaming for about 20 minutes. <laughs> but it, it's just so genius and like they always do these like what's so great about Rick and Morty is that they pay attention to story, they pay attention to characters, but they also pay attention to like uh episode structure Mm -hmm. and they always try to find ways to play around with animation and just expectations and things like that so and season two especially has tons of these episodes that yeah i just i i can't talk about it enough in regards to Mm -hmm. just how it plays around with expectations and story structure and animation and just everything well how are you screaming like in surprise Mm -hmm. or terror or Surprise, surprise, basically. Surprise and excitement. And I was laughing so hard (laughs) that it turned into just my brain melting out of my ears and not knowing how to process what I just watched. (laughs) It is in like the best way possible, obviously. Yeah, I actually just got chills like when you guys were talking about that episode, thinking back about it because like it's so great. Um, yeah, for me, like the the one uh, one of the real standout episodes is so like you know so the end of season one has that amazing cliffhanger where you know, or you know ending where they you know they freeze time and everything and like you you know, think like oh okay well that's just sort of like a Rick and Morty thing and like that's not gonna be like a big deal you know and then when season two starts and then like. That you see that they actually play it out and like they actually kept it paused for a really long time and like they're dusting off the people who are paused and all this stuff and then they do all that bifurcated time thing like that that was so great like I've never seen anything like that like how hard must that have been to to like animate and write and sync all that stuff up and like god it's just that yeah that was one of the, the times where I was just like 
really thinking that, like, I mean, I thought the show was great up until that point, but then that was one of the really moments where I was like, you know, no, genius is, is the label it deserves. Yeah, the episode the same goes for, sorry, I was just going to say the same goes for the first episode of season three. In, mm-hmm. re- in regards to how it plays off of the finale of season two, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. because after the finale of season two, everyone was like, well, where are they going to go with this? This is like yeah. a, a huge moment in their lives and in Rick's life. So it's like, where's this going to go? And then they immediately just like, they throw it out the window almost, but in a proper Rick and Morty-esque kind of way, I think. Totally. Yeah, the episode, John, where the screen is splitting and splitting, I thought also was a really good taking advantage of the animated format. I mean, mm-hmm. it would be really hard to do that in any other format, but animation is like, it's, you know, it's, they're thinking about like, okay, what can we do in an animated show that takes a special advantage of the, of this medium, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but just when, then we, when you're talking about how these big things happen and then carry over to the next episode, I mean, one of the, the early things that really shocked me was when the, um, they release the virus that turns everyone into the Cronenberg monsters yeah. and then are not able to fix it. And Rick's like, all right, fuck it. We're out of here. And they just go to another, yeah. another world and leave that one to, you know, collapse into ruin. Yeah. And they've done that so many times. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. You know, no, that, that was, that was, uh, yeah. Another mind blowing one where, and that was actually fairly early on, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's just like that. They, they, you know, they actually just go to the next universe and, and, like I mean, he kills the Rick and Morty, right? Like they're not just dead, or does he? Or do they find them? Well, dead he he, he picks a universe where they're dying in an accident and goes to. Oh, it. okay, right, and and then just replaces them and like buries in the backyard, and then and then one of the really great things is that Morty has like this existential crisis about it, like when he's talking to Summer, and like you know that was that was brilliant, and it's like I mean. Uh, you know, one of the great things about the show, I think, is, like, how willing it is to just go full dark like that, you know, because it's, like, most, you know, most shows, like, you know, they would, you know, maybe deal with that stuff, but not, like, really delve into it in the way that Rick and Morty is, like, completely unafraid to. Yeah. See, Matt, do you want to add anything here? Uh, to, to what specifically? I don't know, any other, any other just crazy moments that stick out in your mind? Yeah, well, so it's the little things. For me, the, the thing about the show is when they'll just do a deep dive for like five minutes on one very specific thing, whether it's someone excruciatingly reading a really bad screenplay or <laughs> uh, um, or like the video game where you live out some like boring guy's oh, life. Yes. Yeah. It's like things like that where in just a couple of minutes, um, you get something that's so iconic and uh, m- and memorable that it just stays with you for a really, really long time. Um, I'm going to remember that arcade scene like for the rest <laughs> of my life. Just kind of going off of a earlier thing about like, just kind of like how, like, you know, when, when Rick and Morty get into the other dement like universe and then they ki- they bury the old bodies and, what I find really interesting about Rick and Morty in general is that I don't know if this is on purpose or not, but like Adult Swim shows typically have just kind of been very like episodic plot of the week kind of things. They don't really have any consistency with, with like the episode before it over mm-hmm. multiple seasons or whatever. Um, so I think that like what's so interesting about Rick and Morty is that you think it's going to be something like those shows in the sense that like they're going to do something. It's going to be crazy. 
And this very exaggerated moment where, like, yeah, they bury themselves, <laughs> for example. Um, and, like, in a typical Adult Swim show back in, like, the from the early 2000s or whatever, they would just forget about it. But in, you know, Rick and Morty, it comes back. And there's dark, heavy consequences for all the characters involved. So I, I think that how they play around with that is very interesting. That's a really interesting point. You know, I wonder how much of that is a result of advances in technology allowing us to, like, binge watch entire seasons mm-hmm. of TV, having every episode on CartoonNetwork.com, on Hulu, being able to watch the whole show. I Because, like, you know, I think back to, like, talking about these early uh, Adult Swim shows, I think back to, like, C-Lab 2021, where... Mm-hmm. Uh, those those people went on to to make Archer, which is an incredibly serialized show that has a lot of continuity from episode to episode and tons of references back to things that occurred, um, you know, even in seasons previous. Um, I can't imagine that if if those creators felt back then that people would be able to watch every single episode of the show start to finish in sequence, that they would have put more content like that into the show back then. Um, yeah. But... But what I will say is that, you know, regardless of that that fact, here we are living in the present. And, you know, it's incredible, uh, for whatever reason they chose, that we do get this kind of really rich referential content. Yeah, and the same goes for I, Harmon's previous work. Like, Community has tons of these, like, like, really, like, subtle references that come and go throughout, like, seasons, over seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think just, like, having the internet allows you know, people and creators to tell these kinds of jokes and to play around with these kinds of references. Right. It's incredible. Like I, I think back to uh, the whole, the, I don't know if people remember this, but like the Beetlejuice joke. In yeah. That was, that was the first thing that come, right. came to my mind. So it, it was incredible to me watching, watching that be revealed because it was like, um, yeah, I felt like I was watching lost again, which is a very <laughs> different show from community. But but like but like those sort of very serialized, um, heavy, lots of world building um, TV, Harmon's work also does that, but in the like half hour comedy format, uh, which I think is a really you know, genius twist on that. Yeah, I mean, speaking of shows that are, are great, but then they come along with this one mind blowing thing, like, geez, Community. I mean, like that paintball episode and the uh, and the and the one with the what is it, I think it's called Chaos Theory or whatever, where yeah. they where, where all the different universes converge and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like you could almost look at that episode as a as a blueprint for Rick and Morty. Yeah, especially where they play around with like you know facial hair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I I agree with that. Um, Rick and Morty feels a lot stronger to me. It, I feel like it's in this weird sort of middle ground between we're trying to tell a really good science fiction show and it's like a bunch of friends hanging out (laughs) um joking around with each other Mm -hmm. and i feel like maybe the tension between those two things is what makes it as peculiar as it is but i feel like with some of the episodes it goes too far for me toward the like we're just some guys like trying to crack each other up and not doing anything more ambitious than that the Mm -hmm. um interdimensional cable episodes do absolutely Mm -hmm. nothing for me whatsoever um i I know some people like them but i I, they should the first one's good the second one is not Mm -hmm. fair enough uh yeah i can totally see that like i i I found them entertaining but um i can totally see that yeah that's that's a fair that's a fair criticism but so yeah so I, i just hope that i mean that's what i what i want is like an actual good science fiction show with it's also funny you know and i know that that's maybe not what they're 
you know, ultimate aim is, but just mm-hmm. if anyone cares what I want, that's what I want out of this show. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's tangential to this conversation, but, um, there, there's a show called, uh, Other Space that aired on, like, um, the Yahoo network. So a lot of people haven't seen it, but that's actually a good, uh, funny science fiction show. Um, and it, it kind of, um, some of the humor reminds me of Rick and Morty a little bit. I mean, it's more like a Star Trek, uh, sort of, uh, scenario. It's not a spoof of Star Trek per se, but it's like set in a spaceship out, you know, and traveling along the stars like Star Trek is. But then it's just funny. Um, and, uh, it's, it's quite good. It's, it's created by Paul Feig or, Paul Feig, the the guy who he rebooted uh, Ghostbusters recently, and he's done a lot of stuff. But um, but he he's the creator of that, and uh, so but so I mean, if people like Rick and Morty, they might check that out too. It's not animated; it's live action. But um, the humor reminds me a lot of that. Yeah, I really like that show too. I saw that show. Mm-hmm. Yes, I approve. <laughs> I also just want to mention that you know we've talked about how this show deals with the common science fiction trope of parallel worlds, but. I feel that not only does it deal with it, that it pushes it farther than maybe anything else I can think of. I mean, you know, just all the the stuff with the Council of Ricks and, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, like when, whenever you watch a show or something and it deals with parallel worlds, you always think like, well, what about this and what about that and what about this? And just like when they go to the uh, the Citadel of Ricks or whatever it was called, where it's like, oh, every Rick has the Morty and there's like the hammerhead morty and i don't even know all the like the alien mortys and <laughs> it just i just feel like it's not pulling back at, at all on that it's it's yeah. like let's actually take this trope and just go run with it as far as it'll go yeah it feels like they pushed that as far as as anyone i've ever seen you know i mean i did a whole anthology on parallel worlds um called other worlds in these and uh yeah i mean not, i can't think of anything that, that that matches what rick and morty's done with it it's it, it's it's one of the great things about it is that it, it takes this completely um you know sort of gonzo premise and just like takes it full throttle and and you know takes it to the limit i think like rick and morty is kind of the what happens when you get like a, a few people who, you know, are really into science fiction and fantasy and all speculative fiction in general. And they, they devour it so much that they have so many questions about it. And they're like, they're always trying to pick it apart because they're always like, well, you know, this parallel worlds thing, but like, if there's so many parallel worlds and there's so many Ricks, then wouldn't they all know about each other? And then mm-hmm. like, what would that be like? So I think it's like kind of just what happens when, you know, like people devour so much, you know, content essentially. And I think that, you know, with Rick and Morty, it's kind of just the epitome of what happens when somebody tries to pick apart a trope too much, but it still works. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's interesting with that because we had a couple of listeners ask us to identify some of the origins of some of the stuff in Rick oh. and Morty. And I have to say a lot not a lot of stuff from science fiction books really jumped out at me. The 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 thing that really jumped out at me is in the episode with the um simulation world inside simulation world inside simulation world. At one point they're standing outside a movie theater and it's called Egan Cinema, which is a <laughs> reference to Greg Egan and um in his novels, a permutation space, permutation, some permutations. I think like city. Permutation, permutation city. city. That's it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I did do a lot of research on this to see what they were pulling stuff from. And a lot of these things are really obscure, like, like too obscure for me and not within books so much, but mostly within kind of like old movies and 
TV shows, a lot of really cheesy stuff, I think. But so some of the more like specific references I have is the uh, in the Raising Gazorpasorp episode, there's this floating stone head. And mm-hmm. that's apparently from a movie I have never seen called Zardoz. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. Um, in uh, there's a movie I also have never seen, but uh, Sean and McGuire described it in great detail in our Best American Science Fiction, uh, the first 2015, whatever it was, the first mm-hmm. year, uh, called Terror Vision. And apparently, uh, Justin Roiland told the animators he wanted the testicle monsters to look like the Terror Vision monster, but with, <laughs> covered with testicles. Um, <laughs> Bird Person is inspired by a character called Hawk from the 70s Buck Rogers TV series. Mm. And in the episode where all the universes are splitting apart, this fourth dimensional like policeman sort of comes and he looks exactly like the Langoliers from the movie based on the mm. Stephen King novel. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. So those are the ones I got, or, you know, those are the most interesting ones I got. <laughs> were there other ones from uh, the listeners who who were stumped on the origins of things? I feel, I mean, you can probably Google it, but, but were there other things that, that you couldn't find? Wait, say that again, Matt? Were there, were there other references that you tried to find but couldn't find what the actual reference was to? I was just looking up lists of, you know, here's things you may never have noticed about oh. Rick and Morty. So there weren't, like, nobody asked, like, where did X come from? Um, right. But if anyone is curious where X comes from, I'll, I, I can do my best to hunt it down. <laughs> um, I did actually watch a panel. Okay, I should say, so I mentioned Dan Harmon and Justin Royland are the creators of this show. And then I also um, watched some interviews with Ryan Ridley, who's one of the writers, and he mentions there's this guy, Mike McMahon, who's sort of the guy on the staff, they say, who like knows every science fiction mm. a novel and graphic novel. And so he's like, if there's anything that, tr- that comes out of that world, he's the main sort of resource for that. Um, Dan Harmon did mention Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was a big influence on him. And Justin Roiland mentioned Bruce Coville's My Teacher is an Alien series. Oh, yeah. Mm. Okay. Those two, that, that those two references make a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, Matt, you, are you you're familiar with the My Teacher is an Alien series? Oh man, I love Bruce Koval. Yeah, it's he does an amazing job of taking like very mundane kind of real world um, like kid experiences and then completely messing with them um, to the point where like he's doing stuff for kids that you know, we'll feel, we'll feel familiar to people who've, who've read a lot of like classic, you know, 60s, 70s and earlier science fiction, who've watched every episode of Star Trek. Um, but for like, you know, the kind of like, uh, American preteen, uh, Bruce Coville is the, is like the, the gatekeeper of, of those tropes, um, and ideas. So yeah, it's like real world stuff, but then just gets super weird, um, and funny. That's interesting. So, so John and Carly, you're familiar with him too. I'm, you know, he came. I uh, teach every summer at the Alpha Young Writers Workshop, and he came as a guest one year. But I haven't actually read any, any of his books. I, I know Douglas Adams, obviously, but I don't know my teacher is an alien. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm much more. I'm, you know, I've read all the, I've read all the, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide books, and so I know Douglas Adams very well. I, I, I I'm aware of those Bruce Colville books, but I haven't actually read them myself. But I mean, I, I know what they're about, and I mean, they're basically exactly what you would expect based on the titles, you know. So I mean, but I mean, yeah, it's, uh, that just makes sense to me because of that. Uh-huh. What I do know about them. Okay, so John, so when we were planning this panel, you said um, 
that this show has a lot of stuff that a lot of women might have issues with. Yeah. What do you, you want to talk about what you mean by that? Sure. I mean, I mean, well, you know, just they, they throw around bitch a lot. Uh, you know, a lot of people say that, uh, very frequently on the show and, uh, um, can't remember offhand. I mean, I, I feel like there was a, a few different situations where, you know, maybe women were, were, you know, treated not with, you know, equal respect to men and, and such like that. But, um, I mean, main, mainly, I guess, uh, what was sticking in my mind, uh, probably when I said that was just the, the, the use of the B word very frequently. But, um, yeah, I can't remember. Um, I mean, maybe, uh, does anybody else, uh, have, have thoughts about that? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, that's just my general impression that it's, it's like got a slight uh, misogynistic, uh, sort of bent to some of the humor, but. I mean, I think that that's kind of in character for Rick in a lot of ways mm-hmm. to like throw around bitch and to basically objectify, you know, alien women and women he meets and things like that. Um, so, and I think that like the whole, the whole, uh, it comes down to context, really. And I think for me, the fact that, you know, Rick is usually the one throwing these kinds of words around and these kinds of things around. And the fact that you're supposed to not see him as some sort of like hero or thing to look up to and things like that, I think is kind of just like a part of the whole package in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that it's anything to, you know, uh, dissuade people away from the show over, but, uh, it just occurred to me that, um, you know, potentially I, I think I know some, some women that, uh, would maybe enjoy the show, but be put off by that part of it is, is all I was thinking really. Yeah. I saw an, I saw an interview with Dan Harmon where he was talking about how, um, it was really important to him that an equal number of men and women, uh, be in the writer's room. Mm-hmm. Uh, when working on the show and that, uh, that making, sh- in- ensuring that allowed them to create some really surprising and interesting, um, interesting storylines that, you know, a room full of nerd boys may not have ever come up with. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm, I- I'm kind of with Carly on this one in terms of like context matters, but, um, you know, I, you know, people who want to approach the show, uh, one probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast because it's all spoilers all the time. Um, <laughs> uh, but also, you know, should be aware of those kinds of, um, potential trigger words going in. Right. Oh, oh yeah. It's, de- it's definitely not a show for the faint of hearted, no matter, mm-hmm. you know, you know, where you, you lie on that. Like there's so much, you know, gore and violence and body horror, especially is kind of one of my like weird things that really upsets me. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot going into Rick and Morty that you just need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. I mean, Matt, cause I, I read an article where it said that season three was the first season that had women in the writer's room. Oh, really? Weird. Um, I don't know. I, I d- definitely recall seeing that interview. I'll try to pull it up for you so you can put it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, I, it, it's, yeah, it seemed to me that, um, if I remember the exact context, it was that uh, he was talking about specifically how Summer had had kind of come into a more prominent role in the show. Well, I have I have heard them say that the actress um, who's um, Kelsey Grammer's daughter is like Spencer Grammer or something. They said that she had brought a lot of had really brought a lot to that character and suggested things and deepened the character a lot. Mm hmm. Okay, so I found um, an interview with Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon, and it was done um, around the end of season two. 
and they talk about um, having women in the writer's room. Um, I, <laughs> Journalist. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Google search. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they talk about like, just kind of like having scripts they never thought they'd have. Um, and then they kind of like talk about like, you know, the quote unquote agenda behind it and things like that. So I can, I can link it to you guys. Yeah. So maybe the article I saw was wrong, but I do feel like, I mean, cause Rick is definitely a sexist character and there's certainly nothing wrong with having a sexist character, but I do feel like he's sexist. He's also like, you know, he's, he's so entertaining that you kind of <laughs> like everything about him, even when it's these, he's doing these horrible things. And yeah, I'm not 100 fleshed out. <laughs> yeah, he also doesn't seem to be playing favorites to me. He's a jerk to everyone. Uh, so it doesn't seem like he's particularly discriminating against any person. I, I mean, like, I may be misspeaking. I, I don't have an encyclopedic memory of the show. But what what strikes me is that he's, you know, irreverent, but really rude to basically everyone that he talks to. No, like the whole point of Rick is that, you know, he's a nihilist. He hates everybody right. because he's so much he – he feels like he's so much smarter than everybody. Right. And that is both, you know, a blessing in a lot of ways but also a curse because he can't – you know, like the only kind of like real relationship he has is with Morty. And even that is kind of like you don't – you're not – you're never entirely sure how deep that relationship goes and how he actually feels about Morty. Like you get the feeling that the Rick that we're following – cares about Morty a lot more than a lot of the other Ricks do. Um, but I think that like, yeah, the whole point of Rick is that he just hates everybody equally because he's so, he feels like he's so much better than everybody. And that, you know, drives a lot of the drama, the, especially the character drama in, in when it comes to the later episodes. Yeah. Right. So, but I mean, so do you think that, do you guys think that the long-term arc of this show is just, like eight seasons or whatever of Rick being a dick to everybody and that, and we laugh at that or is he going to have to mature or change? Oh God, I hope he doesn't mature or change. <laughs> I think that him being a, a creep is like part of what makes the show fun. And, you know, he's already demonstrated in, you know, a couple of episodes that he is capable of, um, of empathy and so I don't feel like we need to see his personality change as a result of some revelation like that. Like I'd, I'd, I'd much rather see him as him solve these seemingly insurmountable problems. Um, and I think that's kind of the problem in a lot of ways with Rick and Morty. Um, Cause you know, like you talk, you listen to interviews with uh, Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland about why season three took so long. And, you know, it comes down to just, like, kind of the writing and how to, like, craft these episodes and, like, how do you top yourself after season two and, you mm -hmm. know, all these things. And I think that, like, a lot of the – like, I can't, obviously can't speak for them. But uh, I think a lot of the problem is trying to figure out what the, what the end conclusion of Rick and Morty is because I don't think there is one. But I think that, you know, with season two, having, like, so much character work, you know, involved with all this other, like, crazy science fiction stuff – I think is definitely going to drive it going forward. And I don't think Rick really needs to like per change his personality in order to, I guess, care more about his grandkids or, you know, like, you know, so, so I think, I think that like eventually he'll come to some sort of understanding with himself and with, um, you know, especially his grandkids. I don't know if, 
you know, he will learn anything about Beth and Jerry, how he feels about Beth and Jerry or anything. Um, but I think like eventually something has to come of it. Otherwise it's just going to get a little stale. What's really interesting about, um, this particular topic with like figuring out the end game of Rick and Morty, it's almost impossible. And it reminds me a lot, um, of, of some of the interactive writing that I do in gaming because it's so difficult to take a story in which the plot branches um, mm-hmm. and then has multiple endings to make every single one of those endings feel uh, unique, special, compelling, complete. It's hard because uh, as soon as you say, Oh, this isn't the, re- this isn't the only ending. There's another ending too. Suddenly both of those endings lose a lot of value. And what's, what's so interesting about those k- kinds of branching storylines is that in a lot of ways it reflects like a multiverse narrative where based on one decision or another, the whole universe could look completely different at the end of the day. And this is a theme that Rick and Morty plays with all the time uh, because of the interdimensional travel, multiverse theory, uh, the way that the, the show's kind of constructed. And so it almost seems like you can't have a resolution to the show, because even if Rick C-137, you know, had a catharsis and, you know, lived happily ever after, there's still a, an infinite number of other Ricks out there who have not had that resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can just go follow stories about one of them. Well, what you're saying, Matt, it reminds me of my reaction to The Simpsons, which is that I feel like there was kind of a, like a curve of the, of how deep the characters were, where they sort of start out one-dimensional and then things happen to them where they get deep. And then, like, as the show goes on, they kind of go back down and just become shtick, where, like, Homer says something dumb and Bart says something wise-ass and Lisa says something, you know, like, despairing of mankind and, and so on. Mm-hmm. And I got just – I got tired of, of the show after – I mean, it was a while, after eight seasons or something. But at a certain point, you know, there's just this tendency for the characters to just turn into, a like, a one-dimensional shtick where they're just giving us – like what we want over and over again to the point where it's just like fast food and you're just tired of it. Right. Well, it's hard to, it's hard to tell a compelling story with lots of, you know, uh, character arc twists, turns resolution. Like you can only spin those wheels for so long before the characters feel kind of played out unless you're just manipulating them. And then it feels forced or insincere. You know, I think about a show like South park with, you know, talk about Simpsons, talk about Rick and Morty, a show like South park, which started out very much the way you're describing with the Simpsons. Uh, the past few years have had, um, you know, very uh, serialized kind of storytelling. Every episode in the season is linked to one another. Um, And then um, what I've seen in recent interviews with Trey Parker and Matt Stone is that it's almost become too much and like almost um, unsustainable. And so that they want to go back to a more kind of like episodic, the characters Mm -hmm. of the characters sort of, sort of strategy. And I mean, you can think of lots of examples of, TV shows where the characters have this full arc over several seasons come to sort of some sort of resolution. And then the, the writers have to make a decision. Do we end the show with this, with this conclusion? Do we untie the knot and spin it up again? Uh, Do we try to create some new story that maybe doesn't feel as important since we've already had our big resolution? Um, Every, every show has to deal with these questions uh, differently. And, um, and it's, you know, it's hard, it's hard often to know, to know what to do. See, John, what do you think about all this? 
Uh, well, uh, one thing I was actually thinking while we were having this, that last thread of conversation was, um, so do we, do we actually know what, what the deal with Rick's, uh, or, you know, with, what, with Beth's mother is? Like, cause we know she's not in the picture. Um, in season three premiere, we see this memory that Rick has, but then it turns out that that's just, he was faking out the investigators, at least as far as we know. It, well, no, you know, that has to be fake because Beth, little kid right. Beth dies in that, and we know that that didn't well, happen. I mean, unless he went to another universe and plucked a Beth out of that universe. I was just about to say that's a good point. <laughs> so, you know, that's what, that's what I was thinking that, like, that may not have been as fake as we were led to believe. But, um, if, if not, if, if it is, if it is just completely fake, we, we don't have any idea, right? Like, I don't remember that being mentioned in the show. Um, is that right? Like, no, like, there's yeah, no, we, we don't, we that. don't know anything about Beth's mother. Okay. Right. Yeah. But if, right. so, but think so I, about it like this, John. There's an infinite number of universes where, where Beth's right. mother is alive, and there's an infinite number of universes oh. where Beth's mother's dead. There's an infinite number of universes where Beth's mother never existed at all, right? right. There's an infinite number of universes where Beth's mother was a tiger, right? Yeah. It's, <laughs> that, this is... I, I can understand why it took them years to write season three of the show. Right. Because once you once you open this box, uh, it's very hard to get it closed again. Right, yeah, so I'm, I'm just very interested to see where they go with that plot line because I feel like, you know, just talking about um, Rick's potential character development and or growth, um, you know, sort of to, into maybe more empathetic uh, figure, um, I kind of feel like that might be tied to that, to, res- uh, to a resolution in, um, of that sort of uh, part of his character, like, a, you know, like wh- what happened to his wife or, um, and, and, and if there are all these other universes, uh, you know, why wasn't he able to get one, you know, get a, get one of those, uh, you know, of his wife uh, to bring over to back to him. I mean, did they, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's just a lot of interesting possibilities with that. And I, I, the, one of the reasons why I was kind of suspecting that that memory might not have been as fake as we were led to believe is that, um, you know, him being the cause of, of her, uh, disappearance or death or, or whatever it is, like kind of feels, uh, very, um, in line with like him becoming the figure that we know from the show. Um, and, you know, just with all the crazy uh, dimensional mechanics and stuff, I, I kind of wonder if, um, you know, something happened that, uh, you know, that he can't retrieve her for for whatever reason, like that, and and we can't under we can't um, speculate why at this point because we don't have enough information. But um, but yeah, anyway, I think I think that there's a lot of possibilities in in that, and I, I suspect we're going to see more of that um, sort of plot line. I just want to point out, John, quickly, I don't know if you noticed, but in the in that flashback, possibly fake flashback, where he's inventing the portal gun, whatever, that he's in Walter White's house from uh, Breaking Bad. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't notice that. So, 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 I mean, that sort of suggests that, you know, mm-hmm. that the Rick we know has already undergone <laughs> the break. He's broken bad, you know. and Right, right, mm-hmm. right. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, no, I wish I had picked up on that. That's That's an interesting de- detail. I I was just going to add that I think like the fake flashback of just like how like, oh, maybe he's responsible for his wife's death or whatever. I think the joke is that that's so typical and so just like simple and like it doesn't really work in the Rick and Morty universe because it's like it just it's so bland. Like, oh, a guy goes mad because he kills his wife. Like that's, you know, as basic as you can possibly get in terms of, like, a tragic backstory. Um, so I definitely think... This is my theory, obviously. I think that it's going to be more complicated than that, but sure. I think it kind of stems from something similar to that. Mm-hmm. 
And it's probably going to take like a whole episode to try and explain it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was just thinking uh, one thing that I uh, like about the show also is that, um, you know, both Rick and Morty. And I mean, I think a lot of the other characters um, have that stutter. Um, and, and as you heard me talking, I have a little bit of one myself where I, you know, not, not quite a stutter, but I, you know, I have that kind of verbal tick. Um, and so, and I don't, I don't like really identify with that as like a, a, to an extent that I'm like, oh, I want to see that represented, but I, I just, I feel like it's nice that they actually have done that. Like, you know, we're, cause there are people that do really suffer from that kind of thing. And it's nice to have that kind of, um, thing on the show. Um, although I, I, I kind of wondered if, um, if, if, if Justin Roiland is, I mean, cause he's just doing the voices for Rick and Morty, right? Um, yeah. and so does, does he just have a stutter and that, and that's just a natural thing that he's not planning to do or is, or is he just crafting those things as he, you know, delivers the dialogue? Like he's doing it on purpose in that specific way no i think he's doing that on purpose it's kind of funny because you know um rick burps in the middle yeah. of his sentences and so to record that he actually goes into the studio and drinks beer and yeah. just like does the line over and over again until he can get the burp in the right place and then they oh, cut, cut those in oh my god that sounds so difficult like, <laughs> you I mean... can find clips online of him just being absolutely plastered and trying uh-huh. to do dialogue like they're online they're amazing wow. Oh, they should get him to do drunk history. That would probably be hilarious. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys have delved into the Rick and Morty fan theories at all. A little bit. I have my own head cannon. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so say more, Matt. Well, uh, oh God, do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about what I do on my own time. Uh, no, I, I, I just, I really like that they've created this world that's, um, so, uh, so fleshed out and it allows us to kind of imagine, um, some of the, the stuff that's hinted at or implied, um, you know, telling its own story. I know that there was, I, I saw a quote from Justin Rollins where he was saying that, uh, the, his hope was that there would be this, overarching epic galactic story happening in the background of the show and that it was never commented on or never you know addressed directly by the characters but that if you were carefully watching you would see it all play out over the course of the series um and i don't know if that was just him trolling and just being like oh let's put a couple random things in here and people will think that it's like a a -hmm. secret story uh which is if he did do it do that that's also genius like i would I'd love to let people like look at ink blots in Rick and Morty and imagine <laughs> universes in them. Um, but uh, no, I, you know, it's like, I, I, I think that some of it gets unraveled a little bit because of the, the multiverse nature. I know I ranted about this a minute ago, but I, I think that it's really cool that you have all these different possibilities. And the coolest thing about the fan theories is that, in the Rick and Morty universe, there is a universe where each and every single one of those fan theories <laughs> is actually true. <laughs> um, I love fan theories, but basically every show I watch nowadays has a fan theory community and, you know, runs kind of off of what fans think will happen. Steve Universe has this, um... Twin Peaks I'm watching now has this, obviously. Uh, Adventure Time has this. Network and Morty. So it's just like, it's a lot to deal with at any given moment in time. But I, I enjoy the idea that, like, you can basically just come up with anything in the Rick and Morty universe, and I'm sure it's happening somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll say, I'll say the best fan theory I heard 
is that we, um, you know, we, we find out, I guess it was in the season two finale that there's the so-called eye patch Morty, who is secretly, if I'm remembering this right, is secretly conspiring to murder all the Ricks and all the different universes. Mm-hmm. And so the the theory is that the eye patch Morty is actually the original Morty from Universe C-137, whatever it is. And he was left to die by Rick and somehow managed to survive and is now, um, you know, out to get revenge. And the Morty that we've been following all around is not actually the C-137 Morty. He's another Morty that Rick latched onto after mm-hmm. losing this previous Morty. And for all we know, he's like, you know, millions of, you know, he's, he's left, well, maybe millions might be a stretch, but there, there, there may be lots of dead Mortys in our Rick's mm-hmm. past. Yeah, I could see that. Um, all right, cool. Anything else you guys want to mention? Uh, I thought it was kind of funny how, uh, how there's been a run on Szechuan McNugget sauce in the wake of, uh, <laughs> episode one, season three. Yeah, I don't, I don't quite know what to think of that. I think it's just a really funny reference, yeah. but it, it fits in perfectly with Rick's character and the fact that Rick and Morty has this giant uh, fan base and that episode specifically came out on April Fool's Day. Yeah. I think just kind of added to the whole uh, mystique of Szechuan sauce. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, so, um, I mean, we haven't talked that much about the season three premiere yet, but... Um, I have to say, like, so after after the season two finale, you know, like like what we were saying earlier, um, we were like, well, geez, where are they going to go from there, you know? And then, um, so when the first uh first couple minutes of the season three premiere started, and it's like, oh, they they he's like sitting down in the Shonies and with the family, and and they just sort of hand wave away like how he escaped and whatever. I was like, oh, well, come on, but it's like that actually kind of makes sense in the in the in the context of the show. But then I was so happy when it turned out to just be this elaborate thing that they didn't actually just hand wave of him getting out of there and you know the 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 aliens were were trying to like uh you know uh steal the memories or steal the uh, information out of his brain by this complicated thing and uh so i i just really like that and although i was also like is that like weird product placement like is shonies still around (laughs) like did they actually buy that and like that's why it's in shonies i mean um (laughs) i always kind of wonder about that with humor uh when when some when a comedian or or a show like this like makes fun of a particular thing it's like did they actually pay for that because it's like i mean it's like it's kind of it's kind of making fun of them but then it's also like you know making you think oh hey shonies is that still a thing you know anyway um but yeah i thought that was i thought the beginning of that was really great and the whole episode was just like again it was one of those that really like made me like uh, made me drop my jaw where i was just like just can't believe that they you know have been able to um you know just completely surprise me and like go in a direction i i just had no and you know, no way of anticipating and, you know, having, having read so much science fiction over the years and like seen like all of the things. And it's like, I feel like I have a pretty encyclopedic knowledge of, of tropes and things like that. And it's like, it's just so refreshing to see it, um, put together in such a way consistently like that. Just when he zapped like very, very quickly zapping himself from mind to mind. Yeah. Like, that was, it was so, you know, you have to really like so many shows, you can just kind of turn your brain off and, you know, veg out. But this is a show you're like some in a sequence like that. You're like, wait, I really got to pay attention to this. This is, yeah. uh, this is not insulting my intelligence here. Right, right. Totally. Yeah. Rick and Morty does a really good job of containing all of this like sci-fi mumbo jumbo and, and, you know, telling it in a way that makes sense, but like only just barely. Like it only <laughs> like it makes sense enough that you can mm-hmm. watch an episode, but you gotta like go back to really understand it. 
And I don't know if that's on purpose or not, but it's just really <laughs> well done in that regard. Yeah. Uh, I, I I like when they were when they were doing the when he was zapping himself from person to person and and like they to, to try to help you uh, keep up with it they they had him keep saying all right I'm gonna go take I'm gonna go take a shit it was just yeah. like it was like a funny thing to to keep you connected to which one was actually Rick he also he had like the drool coming out of his mouth that was always yeah. the real Rick yeah yeah so a couple couple of quick little things one um there's a there's a great episode uh, of the YouTube channel Binging with Babbage where he goes deep on the the McDonald's Szechuan sauce. If you want to make <laughs> Szechuan sauce at home, you can just go watch that video. Um, and then the other is I've been sitting here thinking about fan theories, and I have one, which is that there's that epi- you know, thinking about the the bugs kind of like creating a simulation for Rick. Back in season one, there's the episode with uh, David Cross where whereas like the bug overlord and they keep trying to like incept Rick into revealing some, you know, sci-fi ish secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the end he breaks out of the simulation and runs off. And uh, it's totally plausible that every single episode since that episode ha! is still inside <laughs> of that bugs simulation. <laughs> and this is all just, we're still on that ship, you know, 15 episodes ago. I have, yeah, you can basically take any episode because yeah, they right. play around with this stuff so much and just conjure a fan theory out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like the arcade thing, like maybe, oh, what, what's the, what's the guy's name you're following around? Um, the, the simulation Is it of like, Dave? I think it's called, I think it's called? Dave. And it's like maybe Dave's real and, Everything else we've been watching is fake, you know, or like, <laughs> like yeah. you can come up with like literally anything and you'll be like, and it, it'll make sense. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I did hear Dan Harmon say one time that he didn't want the show to be something that everything held together, you know, that there is going to be stuff that mm-hmm. just is not consistent from episode to episode or, you know, does, yeah, doesn't carry over from episode to episode. Yeah, right. it, it would be impossible to really... <laughs> Do it correctly, especially if they have, like, you know, a small writer's room. Well, Kiss, yeah, like, the thing, I mean, this is, like, such a small thing, but the thing that, like, I keep thinking about is in the episode with the um, parasite aliens. At the beginning, it seems like Rick's like, oh, it's one of these parasite aliens, no big deal, like, blah, 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 everyone knows these things. Um, But then in the course of the episode, they have to figure out that these aliens can only create fond memories. And it seems like if if these aliens are such a known quantity that Rick would know that this is like the trick that you have to use to figure out who's the alien and who's not. It's st- stuff like that. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. you know, always holds together. Although, would Rick be able to identify fond memories from not fond uh, memories? Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing. Any any hole, any plot hole you can point to, you can probably talk your way out of it uh, by some some <laughs> by saying that. that Rick's a jerk. That's yeah, that's a good enough excuse. <laughs> yeah. Or like, hey, it's Rick and Morty. Just go with it. Go with yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, so I was going to say uh, one one episode we haven't talked about that I really loved was the Mister Meeseeks one. Uh, <laughs> like, and and I thought it was funny when I was uh, we were we were I was asking on on Facebook and Twitter like you know who who's a fan of Rick and Morty like a number of people were like hey look at me <laughs> when, when when they when they were saying that that they liked it and so I just thought that was funny but that was such a cool episode too where it was like it, it defied my expectations and um. You know, I, I love the way it, it, it like sort of uh, it, it really gets out of control because Jerry's such an idiot and he can't 
like, you know, can't swing a golf club and, <laughs> and it just drives all the Meeseeks insane and, and, they, and they have to keep out. And I mean, just the idea that one of them would create another Meeseeks to, in order to help him solve the problem of this guy that's just so pathetic. He can't help him. Um, it was, it was such a wonderful, uh, exploration of that sort of idea, which is not, was, which is like a fairly, fairly, uh, fairly familiar thing you know it's essentially like a w- making a wish uh sort of trope and and i i just thought they did such a wonderful job with that it's uh yeah i kind of want to go watch that one again <laughs> yeah I, I agree that one was really original and it's funny because just listening to interviews with these guys they keep saying that you know they keep having they keep sort of being pushed in particular directions by not wanting the show to turn into south park or mm-hmm you know, or Futurama or whatever that, you know, that they'll be developing an idea and they're like, oh, this is going good. This is going good. Oh, wait, there's a Futurama episode just like this. Or there's a, a South Park episode just like that. And they they, they mentioned specifically that the Meeseeks episode is one where, you know, it's coming out of like, it's just a bizarre, I think Dan Harmon placed in his head. So it's, mm-hmm. it's one of the ones that doesn't, you know, it's not replicating the same sort of thought process that necessarily would, would have led to some other shows episodes. Right, right. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of want Dan Harmon, like, so whenever they finish up with, uh, Rick and Morty, like, I don't want to, I don't want to distract him with anything else. He needs to focus 100% on that so they can keep making more Rick and Morty. But, um, whenever they're finished with that show, I'd really love to see him just get the reins to just a, a science fiction, like a live action science fiction show to just do whatever he wants with it. Um, just cause, like, thinking of, like, the, the, the cool, um, you know, sort of science fictional episodes of community and stuff like that. And then all the great stuff we've seen in Rick and Morty. I, I'd love to see him. Let's just like, like get like a really good budget and just be able to go crazy and do whatever he wants and, and see what comes of that. That's what I kind of feel Rick and Morty is like. Well, sure. Yeah. Especially in regards to like community, which had, you know, so much, you know, network oversight that it caused so much drama behind the scenes and, you know, all this mm-hmm. stuff. And then, but then Rick and Morty is just like, it's on adult swim and adult swim, mm-hmm. he doesn't, doesn't really have any, uh, you know, like censorship kinds of things. Like you can, right. you can pretty much do it like in regards, like compared to like NBC or whatever. Right. Um, but I mean, I don't know what the budget is, but considering Rick and Morty is probably Adult Swim's most, most successful show that's out right now. I think that it probably has no okay, a decent budget. Um, and it'll probably just keep getting a bigger budget as long as it keeps being successful. Um, you know, by Adult Swim standards. Um, so I think that like if we if we keep if Rick and Morty keeps going, then I think we'll eventually see that. I don't know if it would be as good. Like uh, even with a very nice TV budget, there's no way that you could do half the things that they do on Rick and Morty if it wasn't yeah. animated. Plus, yeah, it would just even if it was like the best, the most expensive TV show ever made, it 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 would still be this like weird amalgam of CG and green screen and yeah. and live actors. Like, there's something really nice about the animation being the the delivery mechanism for this show, this story, and this kind of comedy. Because it just, it, I don't think it would play. It wouldn't be as frantic. It wouldn't be as mm-hmm. impossible, you know? Yeah, um, that's, that's a good point. So, like, you know, maybe, may, like, would Community in Space be a good show? Sure, that'd be fun. Like, do, a, do like, Dan Harmon Star Trek? I'd watch that, mm-hmm. right? But right. I don't think it would be, like, uh, I don't think it would be Rick and Morty and then better because it's live action. I think yeah. you kind of have to appreciate that, like, there are impossible things. For for example, John, um, 
Imagine the difference between the awesome animated show Avatar The Last Airbender and a live-action version of the same show. Fair point, fair point. Yeah, can't I, argue with that. I want to say, speaking of the animation, though, because, John, you said that Christy, that this show yeah. didn't meet her standards for animation. And I, I guess that's yeah. more the case. Is that the character designs or something? Because I think the the animation is actually pretty impressive in this show. I mean, I'm thinking of the... Um, the episode where on the, they're on the little planet where you can just kind of like walk around it and yeah yeah like that stuff like that just stands out in my mind as just being really right. visually striking i i think it's mostly like the faces and the um the the mouths talking and stuff i think that's what uh the biggest disconnect for her is i i can't really explain what her uh like she's very she's very um uh hard to pin down on like what it is about a, the animation of a show um, that doesn't work. And, you know, like, I, I mean, I said also that, like, the, you know, I mean, even, like, to me, like, I, I feel like it's, it's not the greatest, but I mean, it's more, it's more, it's not the animation per se, but like, the art isn't that great. Like, you know, it, it could be better. But I mean, obviously, they're doing that on purpose to have it look a certain way. You know, they, they want it to look that way, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's like, for instance, like, Archer, uh, looks a lot better to me than, like, Rick and Morty does, but, uh, would Rick and Morty work as well if it had that sort of, uh, you know, style that's as polished as Archer, you know, I don't know. I mean, so... It'd be more um, expensive. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. So maybe instead of a live-action show, I just wish they had all the money that they needed to, to in order to, to make it look exactly as they want it. But, um, you know, as far as the animation goes. But uh, maybe they maybe maybe that's already how they want it. So, I don't know. I just wish my wife would watch it, is what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Meeseeks, help me! Well, it'll be interesting to watch all of season three because it seems like the show is very, very successful. So you would think that, you know, mm-hmm. budget concerns are becoming less and less of a factor. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what the financial situation at Adult Swim is like, but I mean, before Mc- Rick and Morty, like they had a lot of sh- they had a lot of shows, obviously, but none have really been like that kind of crossover success that Rick and Morty has been. So. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, Carly, you were telling us before we started recording that you're going to sort of a press event for Rick and Morty in a couple of days. Um, yes. Could you just talk about like covering? Have you been to other things like that for Rick and Morty, or just what like, what's it been like covering it as a journalist? I mean, I haven't um, been to any Rick and Morty events like that. Um, but what I will say that is very interesting trying to explain to editors why Rick and Morty is important. Um, like when, um, like when this, when the, uh, when the premiere date finally dropped, you know, and and I'm like, this is such a huge deal. And like some people in the audience were like, not in the audience, in the office were like, oh yeah, finally, like Rick and Morty's coming back. And then some people were like, what's Rick and Morty? Um, so like, it's, it's kind of this like interesting crossover hit in regards to like just adult swim to, you know, everybody else. Um. But I think it's still kind of like within like the Adult Swim esque cult um, atmosphere, and some people. So some people are like, "It's on Adult Swim. Like, how good can it really be?" Not to say that like Adult Swim hasn't produced great shows, but it's kind of seen as, um, I guess, like this. Like, it has a very specific audience, um, and it's not really considered "quote unquote" highbrow or anything like. You know, I've been watching Adult Swim since, you know, it was on one night a week and it showed a lot of anime. Um, but, you know, over the years, it's had great shows like Home Movies and, you know, Metalocalypse and now Rick and Morty. But I think that, like, before Rick and Morty, a lot of that stuff was kind of still relegated to, like, kind of late night 
like all these weird cartoons for, you know, a younger male audience or, you know, people who are into weird stuff, like, you know, too many cooks, that was a thing, you know? Um, So I think it's interesting watching Rick and Morty become a thing and watching people who don't normally engage in cartoons because they're quote unquote for children um, or for, you know, quote unquote, you know, you know, stoners in college or whatever to like act like watch it and get a glimpse of it and to realize that it's, you know, a very, it's a very smart show. It's very interestingly animated. It's very well written. Um, it just happens to be on Adult Swim. Right. Well, I mean, like John, earlier you were mentioning how people responded to your post of like, Hey, who's looking forward to Rick and Morty? And um, Charlie Jane Anders said um, that she had watched some of the show, but she can only watch it in like three episodes at a time because she says the misanthropic humor gets to be a little too much for me. <laughs> um, so, th- I mean, this isn't a show for everyone, right? right. Like, who would you not recommend this show to? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, I would probably recommend it to anyone uh you know any any geek that i know you know i mean uh i, I don't know that um how many like non-geeks i don't know i don't i don't know what they're gonna get into but um <laughs> uh yeah i don't know i mean i guess if, if someone was uh particularly sensitive about uh certain types of humor or something like i might be hesitant to be like you know like oh well hey you know like be be forewarned it's, it gets pretty dark it gets pretty um uh no holds barred at times you know where it's like uh it's not being particularly sensitive um so uh yeah i don't know um I'd feel pretty good about recommending it to anyone, though, and and then like you know just with the warning that it's like okay, well it's uh, you know it's pretty out there, and you know whatever. Mm-hmm. It's hard to explain to people though without spoiling it. Yeah. How about Bao? What do you think about who should who should and shouldn't watch this show? I think everyone should give it a try. I mean, they might hate it, and then you know once you hate it, you're entitled to like put it down. Right. But um, it's just a weird novel show. And I think that a lot of people who may think that it's not for them watch two or three episodes and and could change their mind. I know that Mm -hmm. like the little dog changed people's minds. I mean, I would certainly, if I recommend it to anyone, I would certainly tell them, uh, you have to at least watch the second episode, you know, like, don't judge it just on the first episode, because I mean, by the end of the second episode, if you don't think it's good, like, then you're probably not going to like it. Um, so it's nice that it's like, it, at least it's very early on, you don't have to, like, you know, with certain shows like Sensei, that was like, well, yeah, you kind of have to watch through the fourth episode before you can really understand what the show is and, and how great it is. Um so it's like, and that's like a lot to ask people sometimes, but like Rick and Morty, it's like, okay, well, it's only, it's only like 42 minutes or 44 minutes of, uh, of show you have to watch before you can actually make a, a fair judgment, I think, of like how, you know, whether the show's good or not. It occurs to me that since Matt was on this show last, he's now a father. Oh, well, yes. We haven't said, uh, congratulations mm-hmm. to Matt for that, but so, uh, Matt, would you let your, would you let your child watch Rick and Morty? <laughs> she's five and a half months old. I don't think that she's gonna. <laughs> <laughs> watching it anytime soon. Although I will say that when I was watching the uh, the season three premiere, she was definitely in the room. So, uh oh, <laughs> she'll become a mass murderer. Rick and Morty, it could happen. Um, no, it's not for little kids. It's an adult show, and and parents should know that, um, mm-hmm. and probably not let their their preteens watch the show. <laughs> um, but it is animated, and you know if like. If your child 
uh, knows the difference between fantasy and reality, which I hope they do if they're, you know, a teenager, then by all means, let them watch it. Um, all right, I just this is just sort of a random note, but I did notice that there is a Rick and Morty virtual reality game that you can play if you want to wander around Morty's house in uh, in 3D. Like there's some uh, some comic books and books as well. Um, I don't know anything about those though. I know there's um there's comics that they they feature Mr. Poopy Butthole way more. <laughs> <laughs> I hear they're pretty good, but I haven't read them. Yeah. Um, I, I just wanted to, I was going to mention uh, one, one, uh, so one encounter I had with uh, Rick and Morty before I actually watched it. Uh, I was at San Diego Comic-Con and um, we were exhibiting with uh, this comic book company uh, Christy was working for. And, and so I was there, I was co-exhibiting with them. I was selling, you know, light speed and stuff and, and my anthologies and all that. And so, uh, this, and, and so, uh, this guy was dressed as Rick and he was walking toward us. And, um, and so my sister-in-law was there and helping us sell stuff. And she was, and she was just like, Hey, you, you're a mad scientist. Come here. You need this. And she handed up my anthology, you know, mad scientist guide to world domination. Um, and, uh, and he bought it. So that was cool. But, uh, yeah, it's like, I, I kind of would have been cooler if I had actually seen the show at that point. But, um, but like in retrospect, I'm like, Oh, Hey, um, that kind of makes me happy that this guy that loved Rick and Morty, uh, bought, you know, my anthology. So I, I hope you liked it. <laughs> I guess that's interesting, John. Since as you're something of an expert on mad scientists, how how would you uh, place Rick in the pantheon of mad scientists in fiction? Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I I'd be tempted to put him right at the top. I mean, you know, I can't really think of one that I love more than him. At least not right now. I mean, you know, it's it's very fresh in my mind having just uh, just you know finished watching the 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 two seasons, um, you know, uh, or watching all the episodes just recently. Um, but I mean, it's just like yeah, it's so fun and so clever. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't really think of any that are that I I would put ahead of him. So, best mad scientist. There you go. <laughs> I mean, Matt, doesn't your Eighth Continent series involve some mad science or something like that? It a little bit, yeah. The so the Eighth Continent is about uh, this this family of of wacky inventors um, who've developed like repulsor lift technology, terraforming chemicals. And, uh, so the, the two kids in the, in the book, um, sort of look after their father, who is sort of a, a, a benevolent mad scientist character. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a big influence there. Um, I definitely finished that series before I was into Rick and Morty. Um, I, I wouldn't want any of my young readers to think that I <laughs> was like seeding Rick and Morty into the books. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that the dad in those books is, is definitely, uh, a, um, an heir to many of the, the mad scientists that, that came. Are you, are you just kicking yourself now? You're like, man, if I just had the dad say bitch more, this could have been huge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I did, I did sort of at the end of that series, um, tease that there could be another, you know, another, another saga about the, the Lane family in outer space. And if that were the case, then sure, let's get interdimensional and <laughs> uh, time travel and do the whole thing. It'd be great. Uh, actually, you know, uh, it occurred to me that one, one thing that we haven't mentioned that is probably the most, uh, cl- the closest comparison to Rick and Morty is Venture Brothers. Uh, cause that also deals with, uh, mad sciences or mad science or like, as they call it, super science. Um, and, <laughs> and it's also, and it's also a humorous cartoon, you know, and, intended for adults. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, actually, People who enjoy Adventure Brothers should certainly be watching Rick and Morty. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just, yeah. 
I feel like we should at least mention it um, in passing. Yeah, I always forget about Venture Brothers, but it's basically it's it's for it's for the same kinds of people. Yeah, yeah. I think that that show really struggled from not having a consistent release schedule. It was a real like mm-hmm. it was. I know it was a bummer for me to like finish finish everything that there was to watch and then wait two three years before the next season. Um, so I think that I think I think a lot of friends, uh, a lot of fans, kind of got disconnected at that point. But but John, you're absolutely right that it there they are of the same cloth, and I, it's it's interesting actually that the things that seem to be inspiring the creators of Venture Brothers were these more uh, traditional kind of like um, you know Hanna Barbera cartoons, mm-hmm. um, uh, Johnny Quest and Johnny Quest, uh, 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 Hardy Boys, right. Uh, that to me is, it, it's funny that, but they feel very similar, even though I think they are being inspired by slightly different things. Once those shows get going, both of them um, start, you know, pulling in inspiration and reference from uh, a, a very wide uh, ocean of sources. And, and certainly they're sharing a lot. There's a lot of cross, um, you know, cross pollination there. Mm-hmm. Right. I did hear Justin Roiland, I think, say that, this was this has a definite Ren and Stimpy, Beavis and Butthead kind mm-hmm. of um, influence that other cartoons like that maybe don't have. That's interesting. I, I really don't see that comparison with the show, um, you, unless it's like the nihilism of, <laughs> of Ren and Stimpy <laughs> being reflected in Rick's personality. Um, those shows are, while very funny, don't really have the kind of um, uh, long term thoughtfulness that that rick and morty has um but maybe that again you know those shows are of a different era and maybe if they had been made today they would they would be more reflective of of like modern storytelling sensibilities no i I think it's just that you know like maybe one grandparent is ren and stimpy of you know it's not not a huge sure sure not not like it's just like the a clone of it or something i mean one thing i'll say is that if you look at those like those episodes um where it's like TV of the universe. Um, mm-hmm. Those definitely have bits that feel very like powdered toast man, uh, <laughs> you know, sort of like the weird, uh, like one shot bits uh, from the old Rin Snippy or, or Beavis and Butthead even, which, you know, tended to have very, very small bites of content. Um, well, and, and Beavis and Butthead was, was often them watching TV. And so there's those episodes of Rick and Morty where they're right, where they're watching, watching TV. TV. <laughs> exactly. Or, or even like, I don't know, those episodes in particular to me feel very inspired by like UHF mm-hmm. the old weird Al movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it is like, we're going to do very, very short sketch comedy improvised in, in animated format. Um, so both, you know, all very cool, but I, I, so I guess I can see where those inspirations are coming in, but, um, Rick and Morty is definitely trying to tell a, a much more ambitious story with the show. Yeah. All right, cool. So, guys, I think we are all out of time. So let's just go around, just maybe final thought from each of you. So how about Carly, final thought? Um, My final thought is I am very excited to see where season three goes from here. And that everyone should watch it, even if they have a lot of reservations about it. <laughs> uh, John, final thought. Uh, Yeah, I mean, like I was saying earlier, I mean, uh, it, it's just... With all the all the stuff that I've read and seen over the years of being, you know, quite a connoisseur of science fiction and fantasy, it's like 
this show, I just can't recommend it enough. I mean, it consistently surprises me and delights me and, and goes in directions I never expected. And, um, yeah, I mean, you just have, you just owe it to yourself if you like genre stuff to, to check, to check it out and, and definitely watch it at least until the end of episode two. Okay. Matt, final thought. Uh, don't really have a final thought, but I need to go clean my plumbus. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we've been speaking with John Joseph Adams, Matt London, and Carly Falocci. So guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Later. Always good to be here. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to John Joseph Adams, Matt London, and Carly Falocci for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to Benjamin C. O'Connell, who just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. And I'd like to give a special thank you to Henry Pollock, who just made a very generous contribution to the show via PayPal. Henry writes, Thank you for the episode on The Expanse and how to keep it funded. I have purchased via Amazon the Blu-ray version of Season 1 and pre-ordered Season 2. So big thanks again to Henry Pollock for supporting Geek's Guide to the Galaxy and for helping to ensure that we all get more seasons of The Expanse. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.